I'm Andrew Schwartz, and you're listening to The Truth of the Matter, a podcast by CSIS where we break down the top policy issues of the day and talk with the people that can help us best understand what's really going on. To get to the truth of the matter about India's stance on the Russian invasion of Ukraine so far, we have with us Rick Rossow, who's a senior advisor at CSIS and the Wadwani Chair in U.S.-India Policy Studies. Rick, thanks for being on Truth of the Matter. I have to ask you, you know, what is going on with India? What is their stance on the Russian invasion and why is it the way it is? Well, India would certainly prefer to avoid taking some kind of hard decision on the Russian invasion of Ukraine. India remains heavily reliant on Russian military equipment. India has a massive troop buildup at the border with China. And in fact, troops have died on both sides. So for India to suffer potentially a cutoff of Russian supplies and equipment would be pretty dangerous at a time that uh, they face a real border challenge of their own. They've lost quite a bit of territory to China just in the last two years. So military readiness kind of relies on Russian spares. There is a longstanding relationship as well. And so, you know, they they feel that they don't want to cut it off just because of uh, some what they look at as relative bumps in the road, because uh, from India's vantage point, you know, fights in Europe are a long ways away. And the real threat that they face is China right next door. So not quite as ready to jump in. So uh, they prefer to find a position that lies somewhere in between, you know, what we'd like to see in the United States. And then, of course, they're not actually supporting the invasion, but preferring to avoid taking a hard stance on it. And they're not worried about what we think of them as a result of this decision that they've made? Well, they are. But at the end of the day, you know, if you're sitting in one of Modi's cabinet meetings and, you know, your foreign minister comes up and says, hey, the world is concerned about our position. And the defense minister says, uh, we, we have troops dying on the border with China and uh, our military readiness begins to decline if Russia cuts off. Uh, the choice is simple. There, there is no choice in that matter. You know, national security versus international concern. You know, at the same time, I will say that it's a bit unfortunate, but, you know, India also feels that when China was invading and took over positions two years ago, most of Europe sat it out. France was the only country in Europe that voiced any concern about it, too. So similar to how Europe has been largely ignorant of the China crisis has been rising, which is a day-to-day thing for India, India feels they they don't have the moral obligation uh, necessarily to weigh in on this position because, you know, Europe uh, basically ignored when China was doing the same. Now, that was a much smaller operation. And you do hope that ultimately they can break out of a cycle of kind of ignoring each other's problems. But, you know, I was just in Delhi and this is the kind of messaging that I was getting. They they feel that's enough of a fig leaf, I think, to choose to sit this one out. And are they concerned, though, that we didn't help them with their conflict with China? Is that part of it as well? You know, actually, the United States, I, I mean, I will say some people that aren't familiar with the details. I did hear that once in a while. Where was the United States? But I know directly and India's foreign ministry and India's defense ministry know directly, the United States was the first to pick up the phone and say, what do you need? And we did offer cold weather gear to help uh, Indian soldiers, which typically, you know, these freezing cold Himalayan posts, they abandoned them during the wintertime, but that winter they weren't able to. And so the United States did come through um, with what India requested at the time, which is pretty modest, but we're there. You know, the partnership uh, between us, especially around China, is increasingly tight. So the United States was certainly there. But again, you know, Europe less so, barring France. But not enough to support us in this situation with Russia right now. Yeah, no, uh, they, they don't want to be pulled in. I mean, you've seen India's position, I would say, you know, has evolved somewhat, you know, first calling for a ceasefire and then talking about territorial integrity. And then, you know, more recently, you know, acknowledging some of the massacres. But at the end of the day, you know, we're looking for where do they line up in terms of vote counts for the uh 
multiple votes that have happened at the UN. And, uh, and so far, you know, they, they prefer to avoid taking a position on the votes. So, Rick, we just had what's known as the two plus two dialogues. Can you explain what the two plus two dialogues are and what happened at this last set of meetings? Well, over the last 20 years, we've seen kind of an evolution about what's considered the primary ministerial dialogue between our two countries. We used to have a strategic dialogue that was led by State Department within East Foreign Ministry, then a strategic and commercial for a number of years. That was State Department and the uh, Commerce Department together with their new counterparts. During the Trump administration, they wanted to make sure that they were removing gaps that exist sometimes between U.S. policy in terms of uh, diplomacy and military. And so they recast it as a two plus two, where the U.S. Secretary of State and Secretary of Defense together once a year sit down with their Indian counterparts and try to talk about, you know, how, how can they further our strategic partnership, improve defense relations, things like that. So this has existed since early on in the Trump administration. This is actually the first time that the two plus two has met at the minister level since the Biden administration came in. So that was certainly, uh, you know, in our minds that it has taken a long time for the Biden administration, you know, to, to really tee up one of the most important ministerials that takes place, the most important ministerial that takes place with India. So you saw, you know, a lot of tension in a lot of areas boiling up. You know, when you don't have minister level meetings taking place, a lot of opportunity for mixed messaging and ambiguity. So I wish it would have happened earlier, but I am glad that it happened at this point. Again, they focus mostly on, you know, more of the defense and strategic issues, a little bit less on, on economic and commercial matters. But that's the meeting that took place in Washington this week. And was there pressure put on India at this to, you know, get closer to our side on the Russia-Ukraine dialogue? I mean, for instance, you know, how much of this has to do with oil for India? And is it something we could make up for them? I think the pressure from the United States was really building up in the weeks leading up to the two plus two. The deputy national security advisor was out there and gave some pretty hard messaging. And certainly you've seen others inside and just outside the U.S. policy establishment that's been repeatedly calling out India for taking you know, such a light position on the invasion. But I would say the, the couple of days leading up to the two plus two, I think there was a wider recognition that ultimately an Indian voice on Russia, Ukraine would be helpful, but it's not going to win the day. And ultimately, the relationship is really based on our shared concerns about the rise of China and some of the dangerous elements there. So I'd say like the, the two or three days, it's like it's like landing in rough weather. You know, uh, always seems at the last minute, the plane, uh, the pilot kind of evens things out. And the couple of days leading up to the two plus two, you began to see the messaging really kind of refocused again on Indo-Pacific issues and our shared concerns about security in Asia. And I think that's part of the reason, too, why you actually saw just ahead of the two plus two, there was kind of a surprise bilateral that took place between the two leaders. I think President Biden himself felt that there was a lot of mixed messaging and they wanted to make sure that the ministerial was off on the right foot and that we focused on the areas where there was overlap, because um, I think we'd already made enough noise about our concerns about India's position on Russia, Ukraine. So you really began to see, you know, kind of a refocus in the couple of days leading up to the two plus two. This conversation really is about the rise of China and our shared concerns about some of the dangerous elements therein. So Russia, Ukraine came up in the ministerial at the leader summit. But they didn't let it derail, you know, the good things that are happening in the relationship. So that's a, that's a good balance, I think. Well, I want to get to the good things in a second. But before I do that, I want to ask you, how worried is India about the growing alliance between Russia and China that's especially happening over the Ukraine situation? It's a concern. I mean, you saw China's foreign minister visited New Delhi not long ago. And at the end of that, was talking about kind of, you know, this 20-year history where India, Russia, and China have been having conversations and talking about a, a partnership. From Delhi's vantage point, there is no partnership with China, especially as China controls square kilometers of Indian territory today and continues to offer support for Pakistan, et cetera. So 
So, you know, you did hear even a little bit of trilateral conversation, mostly coming from China. India just ridicules that. I mean, there is no trilateral conversation that's happening that, you know, is going to result in anything kind of meaningful. But uh, India certainly is concerned about, you know, how close can Russia and China come together? I think India looks at it probably a little bit more as a near-term concern, but I certainly share this. Uh, there's not a place where uh, where China and Russia, you know, 20, 50 years out, uh, have some kind of grand partnership, because I don't think either of them look at other countries as equals. So uh, I don't know that there's an alternative order that the two of them would be able to build and support and sustain over long periods of time. But in the near, near term, you know, Russia has defense equipment that uh, they have been selling to China would increase, uh, you know, potentially increase in doing so. The two of them working together for alternative financial systems and alternative payment systems. So it is definitely a concern. But I, but I think from Delhi's vantage point, too, it's a marriage of convenience right now. Long term, you know, they, they do think that at some point Russia or China are going to want to pull out of that relationship, too. So uh, for India, too, uh, keeping some relations with Moscow, you know, is kind of important because they think that this isn't going to last forever. So given all this, what is the U.S. relationship with India at the moment and how important is it to India? How important is it to the United States? Well, I would say, you know, to India's vantage point, the United States has quickly become their most important strategic partner. You know, if you look at uh, India's main theater in which they're concerned, it is about the rise of China. It is about border issues they've got. It's a, it's a trade imbalance with China. It's cyber hacking. And, and I think most notably, it is uh, China's increased activities in the Indian Ocean region, a body of water where India has been the dominant power, you know, for just about all, all of eternity. India very much realizes that ultimately they do not have the, the power and the muscle to manage the threats that China poses across multiple domains. And there is only one country that can help India across all those domains. Uh, Japan certainly is a terrific partner in supporting India's economic development. Australia is looking for useful and interesting ways, both in terms of economic cooperation and military. But the United States, you know, is the only one that kind of fills all those gaps and needs. You know, cooperation in the Indian Ocean and South Asia has always been tricky. You know, when India was the, the dominant power and didn't see any end to that, they didn't want the United States coming around and messing with their neighborhood. Today, that's different. Today, you know, the United States has been welcomed to do military exercises in the neighborhood, to sit with India and have conversations about our, our partnerships and how to build new partnerships, you know, in different countries across the region on joint infrastructure and economic development across the region. So today, you know, the United States is India's number one defense exercise partner. We went from zero defense sales to about $20 billion. We have Indian liaisons at the regional U.S. commands. India has offered a position for a U.S. liaison at their Indian Ocean Information Fusion Center. So you see improved integration. You see certainly a lot of overlap in our interest there. But again, you know, as I think you've kind of been hinting this entire time, the relationship is based on one region and one threat only. We, we don't have an aligned mind meeting on, on issues on Latin America and Europe and, and so many other parts of the world. Rick, we touched on Pakistan. Of course, this is India's biggest concern always. There's a new leader in Pakistan. Imran Khan's government's failed, and, and we there's a new new Pakistani prime minister coming in. What does that mean for India? Not a whole lot. I mean, ultimately, you know, for Pakistan, the civilian leadership does not take the call on the things that India cares about most. So uh, ultimately, India, you know, the fact that you still have the same military leadership, that's really where India's interest kind of lies. You know, I think with uh, with Shabazz coming in as, as prime minister of Pakistan. You know, the family's got a history of occasionally holding out olive branches to India. Sometimes those olive branches are pulled back by the military. His brother, of course, has been prime minister in Pakistan multiple times. It's the first time that Shabazz is taking over. We'll see, you know, whether the uh, civilian government, 
you know, has any increased uh, leverage on trying to improve relations across the border. But ultimately, the big calls, you know, whether or not they, you know, they reel back on terror organizations that operate openly in Pakistan, you know, the military using these as, as non-state actors to, to poke India once in a while and, and initiate cross-border attacks and such. That's really where the decisions lie. So, you know, possibly good things will happen here. Maybe tensions dialed down between the civilian leadership. But the big calls in Pakistan are made by the military. So that hasn't changed. And what's the relationship there? There has been, you know, some some private channels of dialogue between the two countries. But by and large, there really isn't much to speak of. You know, I, I think it's been a deep freeze for some time. There were a number of terrorist attacks initiated against uh, Indian military bases a few years back. You saw the cross-border strikes where India initiated strikes against Pakistan targets. And so, you know, since that time, uh, really kind of track one uh, visible dialogues to try to dial down tensions and such have been absent. So there's not much to speak of right now. No, no, nothing dangerous. And frankly, tensions are not as bad as they have been in other periods, but nothing on the bright side, the upside that shows that uh, there's a coming together happening. I think for India, you know, a lot of that revolves around what's happening with Pakistan vis-a-vis Afghanistan. Uh, India has delivered major uh, development support to Afghanistan. Now, as they kind of watch the Taliban and what is Pakistan's relationship going to be there? Is Pakistan going to be supporting, you know, the rebirth of terror camps and such to target India? So I think a lot of India's attention, too, is what's happening on Pakistan's uh, other border. Rick, if you were to point out some of the most complicated issues the U.S. and India are dealing with right now, what would be the top of the list? Uh, the commercial relationship. You know, we, we actually last year broke a new record in terms of bilateral goods trade, um, which is terrific. The numbers, you know, remain pretty good in terms of trade and investment. But there's a number of really serious policy issues between our two countries that so far, uh, of all the dialogues that we have, and there's a bunch of them with India, uh, we haven't been able to crack any of those nuts. You know, U.S. pharmaceutical companies are worried about patent issues. There's a rising tide of protectionism on data in India. And of course, you know, a lot of U.S. companies use India as a back office. There's a lot of data flows that between the countries. You know, the Modi government trying to protect domestic industry from manufacturing has increased uh, trade protections. And uh, that's been aggravating to a lot of U.S. companies. You know, on the Indian side, you know, they're worried about, for instance, you know, when, when Indians come here on H-1B visa, they pay Social Security and they can never work here long enough to get the credits to be able to get Social Security, you know, back. And there's, there's a number of issues, I, I think, on both sides. The United States revoked India's trade preferences under the generalized system preferences a few years ago. And so far, uh, of all the dialogues that we have, there's a commercial dialogue, there's a trade policy forum. There's an economic and financial partnership that Treasury leads. With all these dialogues, they've really not been able to make substantial progress on these uh, these commercial issues. And it does boil up once in a while, you know, where where tensions uh, really do kind of hit a new level. So we have, a, I think, a, a near-term speed bump, I think, on, on Russia-Ukraine. But longer term, over the last seven or eight years, these, these festering uh, trade and commercial issues that we haven't been able to resolve, that's the area that I'm probably most concerned about. Rick Rossow, thank you so much for being on the show today, helping us understand a little bit better what's going on between Russia, Ukraine, India, and the United States. Thank you so much. Thanks, Andrew. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 